Welcome back to the Christ and Culture. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. And Clint, how was your body? You went straight into it. Yeah. <laughs> My throat is terrible right now. Hopefully you guys can't tell, but I lost my voice on this past retreat that we were at. So Gordon, you were with high schoolers. You had like 300 some on your side. Yeah. I was with middle schoolers, had about 180 on my side. And uh, I lost my voice the first day there and still have not recovered. It's been over a week at this point. So how about you? How was your body? It's good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really good. It's actually been, I don't know if you've noticed this, for me, it's been hotter the past, like, four days here in Houston than it was all week, like, outside and at Forest Glen. Yeah, it was definitely pretty hot up there, but I was also in the lake a lot, so... Yeah, I was, like, in the shade or inside, mm-hmm. and I had a golf cart, so I hardly walked, so I didn't really get, like, the usual, like, exercise, outdoorsy stuff. So my body's not like sore or anything because I was driving everywhere. I definitely had a little bit of soreness because we were doing like canoeing and paddle boarding a lot for our our activity, but not too bad. Surprisingly for for camp, you know, you you always expect to come back a little bit rusty. So, but you and I just went to dinner. We did go to dinner. And while we were there, we, we had some interesting conversations. So we walked in. And you were pretty convinced that the the waitress had a thing for me, right? Yeah. Well, for the record, we both felt like the waitress liked somebody. Yeah. Because she was me like, the back is the coolest. Like, everyone's like, you can sit wherever. And she's like, no, go to the back. Yeah. And, you know, she ended up serving us. So I assumed that was where she was serving there's a lot of people back there, so I just, at first, was just like, she's going for the tips, but then she was just, like, really friendly. Like, really, really friendly. Like, really friendly. And so I was like, okay. And she just kept talking to you. Yeah. So I was like, all right, she likes Clint. And then we get to the end of our meal, and uh, she brings out the check, and it has a different waitress's number for you. Yeah, not... Not her. <laughs> Not her. One of the other waitresses yeah. at the front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wrote her number and gave it to me. So we had to explain. Well, for some of our newer listeners, you might not know, but Gordon's actually engaged yes. to Lizzie. Yes. And so she, that was... If you listen back to a lot of the podcasts, I mention a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not something he hides, but, you know, guys typically don't wear rings when they're engaged. So I can't. It's kind of a... She actually said that. She's like, sorry, you're not wearing a ring. I'm like, I know, I'm engaged. <laughs> I'm not married yet. I need a sign. Yeah. Just to have like a picture of Lizzie on your chest. It's like, I'm taken. Mm-hmm. Do that at all times. Did you ever see the movie Airplane? No. Okay. It's like a very literal movie. Uh, it's like slapstick comedy. And Is that from like the 80s or 90s? Yeah. I think I've heard of it. And the autopilot, you click autopilot on the plane and just like one of those inflatable dolls like pops up in his lap and like that's i feel like that's what i need it's just like like a carrot like if lizzie's not around i can just like there she is seamless transition speaking of things that you've seen in the past yes what have you been in taking nothing 
<laughs> That's not true. We were talking about something you were taking in. So you said you were watching a little bit of Stranger Things. Yeah, so I have seen most of Stranger Things season three. Yep. Uh, when I came home from the retreat, I took off Saturday and slept. And then me and Lizzie started watching that because that came out while we were gone. Yeah. On July 4th. Other than that, I also bought um, a new video game for my Switch. It's called mm-hmm. Cuphead. Cuphead? Yeah. Okay. And it's it came out a few years ago, but it's supposed to look like like a, a video game from like the 60s. Just like the style is supposed to like mimic that. Hmm. And um, it, it's really fun. It's very like if you ever played Donkey Kong back in the day, it's very much like that where you're going off levels in an overall world and I enjoyed it. What is the like story? Objective. So right now, cups on the head. There's, there's your two characters, Cuphead and Muggy, or Mugboy, and they're both like they have bodies, but they have like cups for heads. <laughs> and you're you're told they're raised by Mister like Old Kettle, who's got a kettle for a head with like a mustache. And while they're playing, they go in outside of Old Kettle's advice. They go and end up at a Devil's Casino, and they're they're gambling and they're winning a ton at craps and. Uh, King Dice is like the owner and he's like helping them out. And then the o- the overall owner, the devil himself shows up and is like, I'll give you one more roll. This is all built into like the intro the to the 2D game. game. Oh, okay. The intro. Gotcha. Yeah. And they're like, if you, I'll give you one more roll. If you win, you win everything in the casino. If you lose, I get your soul. And one cup's like, don't do it. The other cup's like already starstruck. So he rolls and lose their souls and they're like please they're begging and he's like all right if you go find all my other contracts of souls that i you know that they they owe to me then i'll I'll keep you free so right now i'm running around trying to get all these other contracts for the devil that is such a weird premise yeah huh okay that's that's interesting yeah what have you been taking uh so i watch stranger things too well, Stranger Things 3 <laughs> also. That was really bad. <laughs> but I, because of my throat, I've been kind of sitting around and not doing a whole lot. I felt really like tired and sick one day, so I just sat here and binge-watched the entire season in a single day, which is really unhealthy. You should not do that. But it's, I say that all the time. It's also a really easy one, too. Yeah. Like I watched four or five episodes out of eight on the yeah. first day. It's, I'm not surprised. We, yeah. I could have done that. So I did. So I, I basically just sat there all day and did that. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Tears of the Sun. Have you ever heard of that movie? That's not really a movie you would enjoy. It's uh, it's about like the... It's not Uganda. I want to say Uganda. But it's some African country in the middle of the Civil War. And it's about some Marines, U.S. Marines, that are sent over there to rescue some American citizens who are like serving over there. And basically their mission of trying to rescue these people and mm. getting stuck. So it's a pretty good, pretty good story. And then, uh, what else? Oh, John Bellion. Oh, yeah. Right? So we yeah. were talking about that before. I really got into him last year. I don't know. Did you know him before? Yeah. Can't? Okay. Yeah, I've, I've known him for years, and I've seen him three times. In concert? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. One yeah. of my shirts, you've probably seen it, the one that has, like, the roses. Yeah. That's his... Oh, really? Yeah. It says Beautiful Mind, and that's the name of his band. 
Oh, okay. So in most songs, I don't know about in the album you're just listening to, but most songs he'll say a beautiful mind somewhere very subtly. And he huh. says that as a nod to like yeah. the music in the background. Yeah. Interesting. So if you guys aren't familiar with him, he is, he's a musician, but he also writes songs for a lot he's of other a composer. Yeah. For a lot of yeah. other pop artists, you would recognize a lot of his stuff. I think his biggest song that like he performs is all time low. Yes. He also has one with Zed or some DJ that came out a few years ago that got on the radio. Yeah, I think it was Zed. And then if you don't know any of like all time low monsters by Eminem. Or yeah. 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 Is that him or is that Rihanna? No, that, well, it's both of them, but I don't know whose song it is though, but John he wrote it. He wrote Rihanna's part. The, yeah. the, the hook. Yeah. Uh, but he's got all kinds of different stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I just heard about him last year at this retreat that we just got off of. And then the reason I started listening to it again is my YouTube recommendations popped up with like John Bellion and the making of like all these songs and shows like how he comes up with the, the music. It takes like two days. Yeah. But it's like so brilliant the way yes. that it just like comes together. Yes. So those are really cool to watch. I actually and then, don't usually care for that kind of music uh, but when you see how he makes it listening to it I can appreciate it so yeah. much several of his songs actually have a very Christian vibe to him uh, he's got one hand of God that's mm-hmm. very clearly about that's God. beautiful yeah maybe uh, I don't know is also another. maybe I don't know yeah. yeah my personal favorite is guillotine that one's really fun ooh that sounded really <laughs> bad you good yeah yeah, too much Jack. I hope that picked up. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so check out John Billion. He's he's pretty solid. Definitely has some songs that are not meant for kids or probably for adults either. But in general, most of his songs are, are pretty solid. Yeah. So, and then the last thing is actually going to be our topic for today. So this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's actually the movie that got me into Heath Ledger as an actor. Batman. No, it's not Batman. Ten Things I Hate About You. No, although... A Knight's Tale. That was funny. That was actually my number two for, for Heath Ledger. It is The Patriot. So being, well, the week after 4th of July, I thought this would be pretty appropriate, but this is a story about the Revolutionary War, basically. And it focuses on the Martin family. So the two main characters are Mel Gibson, who plays Benjamin Martin, the the father of the family. And then Heath Ledger, who is his oldest son, Gabriel. Is it a true story? Uh, No. Based off of some true things, obviously, because Revolutionary War, they're not just going to make stuff up completely. Right. But for the most part, it's, it's not real. So Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin... His wife died, I think, three or four years before the story takes place in about 1776. Okay, so it was like just before the revolution mm-hmm. kicked off. Okay, he has seven kids Gabriel, Thomas, Nathan, Samuel, Margaret, who goes by Maggie, William, and Susan. You don't have to remember most of those, but I'll kind of explain the ones that are important as we go through. But Gabriel's the big one. And so as we open into this movie, it starts with a line that's actually repeated throughout the film. And so it goes like this. It's 
Benjamin Martin saying this, Mel Gibson's character. I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me, and the cost is more than I can bear. And so that's something we, we see over and over and over again. I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me, and the cost is more than I can bear. So just kind of keep that in mind as we go through. And like I said, this is South Carolina, 1776, and it opens up on their family plantation. We see he visits his wife's grave, which is where we find out she's passed away and about the time period that she passed away. And then the next scene, we see that he is a carpenter, right? So the, they go into like a barn and the kids are kind of spying on him as he makes chairs. And throughout the, the whole movie, he's got like this thing for rocking chairs because he's never been able to make a rocking chair successfully. And he always gets like really frustrated and just like throws them. And he's got this huge pile of like broken ones. But I think there's this important tie to him being a carpenter, even though he is a really crappy carpenter. And this is Heath Ledger? This is Mel Gibson. This is Mel Gibson. Okay. Yeah. He's Gabriel. He's Benjamin. Gabriel is Heath Ledger. Are they related? Yeah. Okay. Uh, father's you son. You said that. Okay. Father's son. Now, now you got it. I'm following. So he's the oldest son. So that day, they receive mail telling them that several of the colonies are starting to declare independence and the entire Continental Congress will probably follow suit by the end of July or by July, which makes sense, July 4th, right? Gabriel, who we've already talked about, asked to join the Continental Army. Mm. He's already 19 at this point and some of the younger kids that he knows have already joined and he feels like it's his duty to do the same. In that same package of letters, they get called to Charlestown to participate in the South Carolina Assembly to basically figure out what is South Carolina going to do in regards to this revolution that's going on. And then they stay with their Aunt Charlotte, which is the deceased mother's sister. All right, so that's kind of setting stuff up. And so they go to this assembly, and it's... For the most part, people are on board. Like Everyone wants this, this revolution to happen, except for a few loyalists. And uh, Benjamin himself, who basically says, do I think that the British are wrong for taxing us without representation? Yes. Do I think that we should be a free and independent nation? Yes. Am I willing to fight for that? No. Right? And so he says, he says this. This war will not be fought on some distant frontier or battlefield, but amongst us, in our homes. Our children will learn of it with their own eyes, and the innocent will die with the rest of us. I will not fight, and because I will not fight, I will not cast a vote to send another to fight in my stead. And so I want to stop right there and just kind of get your thoughts on that, because I see this playing as kind of a spiritual warfare thing. I know that's kind of a trope that we do. A lot of battle stuff tends to be spiritual warfare. But I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I liked that his character doesn't really want to fight for it. And not in the sense I, I, I like that he doesn't want to fight. But literally when you're explaining Gabriel, as soon as you're like, he wants to go and join the army and he feels like that's his duty, 
I was actually thinking, and this is not really like a TCIC thing, but I was literally thinking like, where, where has that ideology gone? Mm. Where like, you know, back in the day, you know, he's, he just said he's 19. So back in the day when wars would happen, if you were 18, everyone not only would kind of try to sign up or go do it, but they felt like, you know, I've been watching Downton Abbey and the ones that don't go feel embarrassed and are shamed. Yeah. And like nowadays we have, you know, maybe it's cause we have this freedom nowadays. It's like, well, we have families and schools and there are people that do still do that. I'm not downing anyone today. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you for your service, but it's just an interesting idea. And I want to know, like, I'm just, it's just, my brain's going like, where does that stem from? Is it because like we want to feel useful and involved and it's just really interesting to hear this character in this time period go, I don't, well, I, 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 what I want is what they're fighting for, but I don't want to fight for it or be involved in that fight. Yeah. I don't want, and he's almost like one, a peacemaker. So like Jesus, who's like, if there's revolt, Jesus is just going to like take the punches or be crucified but also almost like Pontius Pilate where he's like washing his, washing hands. his hands of it. Like yeah. he's like, I'm not even going to vote. If it happens, it happens. I'm not going to stop it, but I don't want to be involved. Right. Or I don't, have, I don't have my fingerprint on that. Let me give you this next scene and see if, if that changes anything. Because I think that ties in pretty well with what you're saying here. So essentially they, they vote to support the Continental Army, at least financially to start with. Gabriel signs up to join the army against Benjamin's wishes. And then he says to Benjamin, Father, I thought you were a man of principle. And he kind of calls him out for saying, you believe all these things, but you're not doing anything about it. And it, then Benjamin responds, when you have a family of your own, perhaps you will understand. And Gabriel, when I have a family of my own, I won't hide behind them. Right? And so for a good chunk of this movie, we see that Benjamin or yeah, Benjamin doesn't want to fight because he's afraid of what will happen to his family if he does. And so I think everything you said still applies, but I think that adds kind of an interesting twist to it. Yeah. Because the first thing that also came to mind in the beginning, I don't know if it was listening to catching foxes recently, or the fact that this is like an independence day film or just that it's war but I think another thing besides like spiritual warfare that comes to mind when I think about war movies is true justice. Yeah. And so like, you know, justice isn't necessarily something that has to be fought for, but on the other side of that, justice isn't something that necessarily can happen idly standing by. Mm-hmm. And I think what is what, what Gabriel's saying has like a lot of truth to it in for the sure. sense of like, by not fighting because of us, are you, you know, we should be something to fight for. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, you know, when you think about spiritual warfare, if we want to take it that way, we can't just, we can't just not pray or not try to strengthen ourselves, but trust that God is stronger. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think like so. If we're being attacked, we can't be like, well, I know... You know, I'm being spiritually attacked. I'm not going to really do like take any physical means to fight against it. But I I also know that like God ultimately is stronger. And so 
even if I endure this, whatever, rather than like, I can actually pick up, you know, they say like a, wep- a rosary is a weapon. I can like pick up and pray or I can go and do this thing, which is like for this movie, entering into the battlefield right. and doing something. Yeah, I think even on top of that, they talk about using kind of the family as like something to hide behind. But I think there's things that we hide behind in our spiritual life too. You know, like there's things that we should be doing to grow spiritually, like you were just saying. But instead we say, well, I don't want that to affect X, Y, and Z, right? If I, if I give God this, then that's going to influence all these other things. But just like Benjamin was saying, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. He even admitted it's going to be fought in our homes. It's going to be something that's personal. Our children will see what happens. It's going to be fighting right here amongst us and the innocent will die with the rest of us. Right. And so I think there's this this thing where whether we want these things to be attacked or whether we want these things to be involved, they are. And not doing anything does not change that. Is it, what's the father's name? Benjamin. Benjamin. Is it, is it Benjamin who says the first quote? It is. So the irony of that quote too is the opposite of where he's at right now. Mm-hmm. So if he's afraid, you know, if we think about this spiritually, if he's afraid of what's to come, judgment is like the cost of what he's not done is too much to bear. But right now, He's not choosing to do something because the cost is too much. The cost of losing his family or having his family deal with his loss. Mm -hmm. But I don't know when that quote actually comes to fruition, but eventually I'm sure like not doing anything is parts of these sins and other things. And, and the the cost in the end is is he's afraid that's too much to bear. And so it's like, you know, which one do you choose? Yeah. And ultimately we should, we should be choosing for the end Mm -hmm. for, for, for heaven. Right. Not like we have to sacrifice on this world in order to to be the sheep that God chooses, not the goats. Like he's he's not willing to sacrifice his family for salvation, retribution, independence, independence. Yeah. Just to clarify, when he says when Gordon says for the end, he's not talking about like end justifying the means. He's talking about the end being heaven itself. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do think as, as we keep going, that'll kind of come to fruition. So it kind of flashes forward about two or three, I think it's two years later. And this time kind of passes through letters that Gabriel writes to the rest of the family about what's going on. And so we have General Cornwallis who captured Charleston and Aunt Charlotte moved to her plantation outside of the city. Gabriel was fighting in the north and reports to Thomas, he writes specifically to the second son, Thomas, of their losses and the death of his closest friend. And he ends his letter by saying this, I envy you, your youth and your distance from this cruel conflict of which I am a part. But I consider myself fortunate to be fighting for the cause of liberty And though I fear death, each day in prayer, I reaffirm my willingness to give my life in its service. Pray for me, but above all, pray for the cause. Now that's something that they talk about a lot, the cause. And it's a a trend throughout the entire movie. And I think that ties into what you were just talking about. The cause being, in our TCIC version of it, like heaven, right? 
it's it's the cause in, in what they're saying is actually the end goal, right? Which for yeah. them for them is liberty. What they're trying to obtain, right? And so I think if we keep that in mind as we look through uh, the rest of the movie, I think that kind of paints a picture for us. So we have all that going down. Thomas, right after this, goes into Benjamin's room and finds all of his old weapons and his uniform for when he used to fight for the British in the French and Indian War. And they kind of hint that Benjamin was a legend for his brutality in that war, but no one, none of his kids or family know the details of why, right? And so this is the first sense where we see these are the sins that he was talking about, right? Then we see the children run after a horse that uh, kind of runs out of one of the buildings and they catch it at a nearby stream. And as they do so, they see bodies of soldiers floating down. And this is where we realize that this battle right on their doorsteps is literally coming to their doorstep. And that night they hear gunfire. Benjamin tells them that they, they're like really, really far away to try and calm them down. But he knows like they're... They're coming, and they're coming close. In the middle of the night, a wounded soldier comes into their house, and Benjamin goes to shoot him, but then realizes it's Gabriel, and he's carrying like a, a sealed dispatch that he's supposed to be reporting, but he's wounded. And the battle comes to their front yard, and in the fields and stuff, they heal up Gabriel. And in the morning, when Gabriel wakes up, they have American and British soldiers on like the front deck and yard and they're healing all of them and Gabriel's inside and the British army and cavalry both come to their house. The army commander comes up and like, thanks Benjamin and says like, thank you for caring for his majesty's troops, stuff like that. Really like nice and gentlemanly. The cavalry commander, uh, his name is Colonel Tavington. He's a recurring character throughout the rest of the story. He comes in and orders the house and barns to be burned to teach them a lesson for harboring American soldiers, mm -hmm. even though he was treating both of them. And then he orders the farmhands, who were not slaves, they were actually freed African Americans, to force them to fight for the British. Okay. And then says, shoot all the American injured, and then they find the dispatches that Gabriel was carrying and order to kill him as a spy. And as they tie him up and they're bringing him away, Thomas attacks the British with no weapons or anything and tries to set Gabriel free. And Colonel Tavington shoots him and kills him right there in front of the entire family and everything. This is where it starts to get heated up a little bit. So... As soon as the soldiers are gone, Benjamin gets his weapons from the burning house, arms the two older boys, and they run through the woods and they ambush the soldiers on the road and they kill every single one of them and free Gabriel. And in doing so, they see like this brutality of Benjamin that they've never seen before coming back from like his days in, in, the, in the war. And before they, they stage this ambush... He, Benjamin, asked the boys, do you remember what I taught you about shooting, like hunting? And they said, yes, father, aim small, miss small. And when I hear this, I don't think they're saying like, 
I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to apply this here, but I don't think it's like saying have like the small goals, but I think it's like when you aim at like a smaller target and like you're closer to what you are aiming for, right? Then your like space for air isn't going to be as great. Right. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Perf- yeah, totally. Okay. So, so like, oh, do you have any comments on that? Well, with that last thing to kind of better explain for anyone that might not like, cause it is a confusing, you yeah. know, aim small, miss small. Right. But if you think of a, you know, we always bring up archery when we talk about missing the mark, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the first, the, the bullseye is 50 points and then you yes. got 40, 30, 20, 10. If, you see the target as a whole, like you're looking at the 50, but you can still in your peripheral, you're noticing the 10, then you're kind of accepting that you can miss, but still at least get 10 points at the least. But if you like block out mentally and you just are noticing the 50, the bullseye, mm-hmm. and you aim, then at worst, you'll probably get 40. Because if you miss, you're going to miss right outside that circle. Exactly. And you're just going to hit the next best one. So he's saying that with like people, with animals, like, if you look at the big picture of the deer, but you're shooting for the head, you still have the rest of the body to, to hit or miss. But if you're just focusing on the head, then if you miss, you might get the neck or you know, something like that. Right, exactly. And so translating that to our spiritual life, right? If we aim to be like virtuous people, if we aim for, like you were saying, for heaven. And we then, see no fail, like possible failure. Right. We just try for it. So if, if we aim for perfection, then anything falling short of that will be like closer the to the best perfection. of the worst. Right. Exactly. And if we aim for like just being a, a good person, right. Which is a pretty common we'll phrase better, but we'll also, right. Like, yeah. If we aim for just being a good person, then typically we're going to fall short of that too. And not even be quote unquote, just a good person. Yeah. If we're flexible with the end goal, then it's not going to work out in our favor. Exactly. Yeah. So right after this, they bring the kids to Aunt Charlotte's. And Charlotte says to Benjamin, you have nothing for which you should be ashamed. And he responds, I have done nothing. And for that, I am ashamed. This is Benjamin. This is Benjamin. Can right. I speak on something of that real quick? Yeah. So this is what came to mind. And I'm curious how you feel. So now that I know that the, you know, the sins or I sort of know are from the past, Yeah, you know, before his family or whatever. It's interesting to me because I think of like Jesus. And I just think how God works. Like when, when we, you know, whether it's discernment, whether it's just living life, when we choose one thing in either endless possibilities or a split road, when it comes to our spiritual life, whether it's right or wrong, you know, God's glory can still show up in that. Mm-hmm. And then God meets us there and gives us another opportunity. And so it's interesting that, you know, he fought in the war previously. He's done things that he hates and regrets, doesn't probably even like thinking about, and fears that he's not forgiven. You know, there's no mercy. And he's he's going to face those things. Yeah. And now he's given the opportunity to fight for something good. But he's and too he afraid. doesn't want to do it. And this is, I think this happens to us all the time where we're just yeah. waiting for the punishment or waiting for like this heavenly absolution, right? That just appears rather than God meeting us somewhere in the mundane and give us another opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we're too afraid to do it because we've messed up in the past. Yeah. And it's like, God's like, no, this is your retribution. That's exactly it. 
right? Yeah, yeah I, I agree 100%. I was literally about to bring that up, so I'm glad you said it. Uh, the only other thing I want to add to, to that line specifically, Yeah. so I'm um, say it one more time. You have nothing for which you should be ashamed, and then Benjamin responds, I have done nothing, and for that I am ashamed. So there's this quote, and I found out that it's actually apparently misquoted, and they're not really sure who the original person was, but it's one of a couple of different people, and it says something like this. Bad men need nothing more to compass their, their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing, right? So it's, they think it's either by John Stuart Mill, who's a philosopher, or Edmund Burke, who's a British statesman. Either way, the point still stands. So basically it's saying that for evil to succeed, all it needs is for good people to see it and do nothing about it. Uh, we're, we're hearing that a lot now with like the pro-life movement and stuff like that. And this idea that it's not for me to say anything. Right. And that's exactly what, what's happening here is Benjamin realized that's exactly what he did when he was at the assembly. And he said, I believe in everything you're talking about, but I will do nothing. He's realizing because I did nothing or not necessarily because he did nothing, but regardless, his second son is now dead. Right. Right. And so he is ashamed that he did nothing to try and prevent that. And so we're kind of seeing that come to fruition. And so Gabriel says he's going back to join the army. And there's this argument between him and Benjamin because he doesn't want him to go back. He's afraid he's going to lose another son. And Gabriel says, I'm not a child father. And Benjamin responds, you are my child Gabriel Thomas is dead. How many more have to die before you heed my word? And he kind of like puts this weight on Gabriel, uh, which obviously is not a very fair thing to do. But we see this kind of relationship of like the child and the father. And I think that kind of hints at stuff later on. So. so Benjamin goes after Gabriel and catches up with him at a house just off of the battlefield. They see the Continental Army just get annihilated by General Cornwallis and Colonel Tavington, who's that jerk cavalry guy from before. Gosh, he's the worst. Uh, we find out that Tavington's been named the butcher because he is like merciless and just like has no, you know how like the British were known for like gentleman warfare. Yeah. Tavington is like the opposite of that. Okay. And when Benjamin and Gabriel get to the camp, the continental army camp, they find out that the French are on their way with 10,000 troops and a fleet, but they won't have, they won't arrive for at least six months or more, right? And so there's reinforcements, but it's coming a while. Gabriel picks up this torn flag off the ground, and a soldier who's injured says it's a lost cause. And so here we have, like, the cause coming up again and a lack of hope that it's attainable, mm -hmm. right? And so we see this brokenness. And these two, Benjamin is now joining the military, they are sent out to recruit men to fight in a militia to help slow down Cornwallis and Tavington okay. long enough that the regulars can get stuff figured out. All right. So Gabriel goes to a local town to recruit and basically fails until the girl that he has a crush on and Howard stands up and calls out the entire town for talking the talk about independence, but not doing anything about it. Essentially what, what Benjamin had been doing. Right. And she says this, 
I ask only that you act upon the beliefs for which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. And so right after that, we see tons and tons of men come together. They, they volunteer and they go with them. And the reverend, the priest himself, a reverend, not a priest, I guess, goes and says, a shepherd must tend to his flock and at times fight off the wolves. But I really want to focus on what she said. So it's, I ask only that you act upon the beliefs for which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it, so the first thing that came to mind was lukewarm. Yeah. But it's not even that because when you think about Benjamin's situation, he's not lukewarm. He's actually very uncomfortable and it's just because he's stuck in this middle. And then when I think about the, the, the line, the beliefs you so strongly spoken, mm-hmm. I think about the creed yeah. every Sunday at mass. And I think about, you know, our baptismal promises that we say when we're baptized and we say again when we're confirmed and we say every, every year on Easter. And it's these things that we say. And then there's people in the church that like pick and choose what they, what they agree with and what they don't. Yeah. Even though they still go to mass and they say the creed. Right. And it's like, well, what she just said, I ask that you actually live out Act these beliefs, the beliefs. Yeah. that you're saying, or just don't say it, say it, don't say it. Cause when you say that, you're not saying it because it's a part of the mass and you know, this is what we do now when you're saying it, you're saying, I believe follow the rest of the thing. Right. And that's actually something that came up at Expedition, that junior high camp that we had last week. A lot of the kids were not like saying amen when they went up to receive. And so the priest asked me to like make a kind of an announcement and just talk to the kids. And I said to them, like, amen literally means like I believe, right? So when, when the priest says, this is the body of Christ and we come up and say amen, we're saying with our bodies and, and with our mouths and with our soul, we're saying, I believe that this is the body of Christ, right? And so if we don't believe that, then we're lying, right? you know? And so it, it, it's kind of a similar thing, but I think you're spot on with the creed where, I mean, I've been guilty of this at times too. Just like you say it because that's what you're supposed to say, but we don't actually think about what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something that, that we do a lot because it, it's easy to say something that's harder to follow through. And I think the opposite is true, which can happen not necessarily in this movie, but in our spiritual life where we know what we're supposed to do, but we're not catechized well, or we don't really know the words that to what, to our actions. Like, you know, when we don't know exactly why we do certain things or why we believe, but we know what we're supposed to do, then there's, it's, there's less power in that. And like when, like, I, I remember when I learned parts of the mass, and this was like two years ago, how much more beautiful and how much more different the mass was for me. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, I just got distracted real quick no, it's by, okay. by a name. We're going long here, but we'll keep going. It's just going to have to be a long episode, I think. Okay. So it's General... For America. Yeah, this is for America. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Davis. <laughs> P- peanut gallery over here. General Cornwallis reprimands Colonel Tavington for his brutal tactics. So over and over and over again, every single battle, Tavington charges in before he's supposed to, before he gets given the command, and he just slaughters people. Yeah. Not taking any 
Casualties? No, he's taking plenty of casualties. Not taking any living bodies. Hands. Uh, oh my praise. gosh! Yes, that. I'm just gonna edit that out. Was it praise? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, people who surrender. Oh. Uh, prisoners. <laughs> oh my gosh! I couldn't think of the word. Surrenders don't prison. Uh, prisoners don't surrender. Yes, they do. They're just captured. Because they surrender, otherwise they'd be killed. Whatever. Oh my gosh! If anyone's in the military listening to this, they're gonna hate us. POWs, thank America. you. Okay, so Colonel Tavington responds, My late father squandered everything, including my inheritance. I advanced myself only through victory. Right, And so he's saying the reason why I do these things is because I need to earn glory for my family because my father gave it away. And immediately... General Cornwallis responds, you advance yourself only through my good graces. These colonials are our, are our brethren, and when this is over, we will reestablish commerce with them. And so we see the contrast between the gentleman, soldier, and the brute. But what Justice. I yeah. What I really want to focus on is that first kind of sentence that Cornwallis says, you advance yourself only through my good graces. Now, throughout the remainder of the movie, Cornwallis is labeled as extremely prideful. And with that insight, I think this is really important. It's saying, it's my graces that gives you success. Nothing you can do is powerful enough, is good enough. And he's kind of assuming this, this God figure, this God character, and quite literally thinks he is the... Big dog, you know? Uh, and so next we see Benjamin, Gabriel, and Major Jean Villeneuve. He's a French guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jean. Yeah. So he's like the one French guy that sent ahead of the rest of them to kind of start things off and show like the good uh, intentions of the French. We. Oui. <laughs> nice. Uh, and so those three start training the militia and they ambush caravan after caravan of red coat supplies including the personal journal and correspondence of General Cornwallis. And so they start capturing all this stuff. And they, during one of the attacks, start killing Redcoats who were about to surrender. And Gabriel calls them out saying, we are better men than that. Mm -hmm. right? And so Benjamin was one of them that kind of lost his cool there. And one of them says, they're Redcoats, they've earned this. As in, like, this brutish death. So, thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you brought up pride. Because for a while I've been sitting on the opposite, the opposite end of that spectrum is shame. Yeah. And so in the middle, you have humility. And so we have one character, Benjamin, who struggles with shame. Mm -hmm. And we have this other character, Cornwallis, who struggles with pride. Yeah. And then we have Gabriel. Mm -hmm. He's a very humble person. And I think what's interesting about this movie... Whose name means messenger of God. Right? I'm just going to say that next. Oh, sorry. It's okay. No. I think what's important about this movie, because, you know, like you said, I know we talked about war movies lately or just in the past or spiritual warfare, is that a lot of the warfare, besides for Cornwallis, a lot of the warfare of like, one of the main characters, I feel like Benjamin, is outside of the war. You know? Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, we're not necessarily in the battle. Like, so we're not really having to pray. We're not necessarily being like full on attacked. 
but it's these it's these subtleties of like I said, God presents us a new opportunity and we're too ashamed because of something previously or something else that arose to do something about it. And we've talked in the past about shame and guilt. Yeah. Shame being negative, guilt being the helper. But I do think there is some truth to shame because shame is of the devil in the sense that if you feel shame to, with, towards an action, if you feel ashamed for something you've done, then you know you didn't choose of God. Because... Yeah. But you also know you've been forgiven because the only reason you feel ashamed is because the devil wants you to think or the enemy wants you to think there's nothing you can do. Well, lies are based on truth. So it's assuming that there's something there. So like you messed up and the devil or the enemy wants you to think there's no way to fix this where God sees otherwise. Whereas if we we do choose God then the devil wants or the enemy wants us to think we're the best person. We chose right. I did the right thing, me, 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 and we become mm-hmm. prideful. You know, it's what Gabriel could have done towards Benjamin. Like, I'm doing the right thing. You're messing up with you, sort of, but not in like a, not a prideful way. And so there's, there's two things where we have to like toe the line. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I, I like that you used Gabriel as the example of humility because humility is recognizing who you are and who God is, right, and kind of where that distinction is. And... I think throughout the movie, Gabriel does a really good job. He knows who he is. He knows where he belongs and what he's supposed to do. And don't get me wrong, like he makes mistakes right. throughout it. He's young. But he also very clearly knows who God is. Like in his letters, you see him saying, like, remember to pray. Remember to like be a good person to his, his siblings. He talks about prayer himself, like all this other stuff. Um, like the virtues. He knows yeah. what it takes to be strong. Yeah. He knows what it takes. And even though he might fail sometimes, he recognizes when he fails and he recognizes where he's supposed to be. He knows how to aim small. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Aim small. Title of the episode. Got it. All right. So next thing is there is a slave who was signed up to fight by his his owner, who was an older man, and his name is Occam. So this is why I was looking up the razor. Name. Yeah, Occam's razor. I was trying to think if this applies, maybe it can help. But Gabriel says to Occam, if we win this war, a lot of things will change. You see, they call this the new world, and it's not. It's the same as the old, but we'll have a chance to build a new world. A world where all men are created equal under God. And I think that's calls out a lot. I mean, we look at the modern world and we say like this is a new world still today you know to them they were talking about like the americas being the new world but they behaved just like the rest of the world like there's nothing new about it but really quick occam's razor we'll see if there's anything there i i don't think there is off the top of my head but there could be so for those of you like the more simple yeah so for those of you who aren't familiar with occam's razor occam is a philosopher and his razor principle is that if there are two explanations for a single occurrence that are both possible the simpler of the two is most likely the correct answer so that's his his occam's razor principle so i'm not sure if or how that applies yeah i don't know but we'll probably think of something later let us know if you guys think of anything we'd love to hear also if you do want to know more about that go check out the episode with Danny it's or watch that movie contact it's it's that's pretty much what it's about 
Did you guys talk about Occam's Razor on there too? Mm-hmm. I listened. I swear. I, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, go did. go check that out because that's a big theme in that movie. Okay, I might have to go back and listen. All right. So Benjamin is reading the journals and stuff from Cornwallis and realizes how brilliant he actually is, and says that what is more, he knows how perfect his victories are and says that that could be his weakness. He says pride. Pride's a weakness, and so this is where we start to see like. Okay, there's something to this pride thing of Cornwallis, which we've already talked about a little bit, so I'll keep moving. Cornwallis is then talking to Tavington and calling him out saying that you can't keep these supply lines safe. Tavington says, it's the militia because they won't fight like regular soldiers, so I can't find them. They're led by this ghost. And Cornwallis says, you created this ghost with your brutish tactics swelling his ranks. Some soldier you are bested by a bedtime story is such an awesome insult but also kind of shows like your not even mistakes your deliberate immorality has consequences and we're starting to see those come to fruition in a, a very extreme way so the militia including benjamin gabriel and all the others dressed up in british officer uniforms which they had taken from the car- caravans they go to this party that cornwallis is having get on a boat and like go out to the ship, which they're having unloaded with all the new supplies for the British army, and they blow it up right at the party, like literally right under Cornwallis's nose. And then right after that, Tavington tricks them by sending a caravan full of soldiers down the road. The militia attack it and then are ambushed and surrounded. 22 are killed, 18 wounded, and 20 are captured. So they lose almost everyone. Right. right after this, Benjamin finally says to Gabriel what happened in the French-Indian War. And he says, not a day goes by that I don't ask God forgiveness for what I've done. And so we see that he's asking for this forgiveness over and over again. But like you said before, he doesn't believe that he's received it. What is that called? Catching Foxes just talked about this. Don't believe Will that you're you sit in... Oh, what is that called? It was like the five-minute episode. They're doing five-minute topics. So not this. The ten-minute ones, yeah. Anyways, there's a name for that. I'm blanking. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, but I'm blanking too. It'll come to us probably at the end of the episode. I'm not going to remember. And so Gabriel then says, Thomas was my brother as well as your son. You may not believe this, but I want satisfaction as much as you do, but not at the expense of our cause. Again, the cause being heaven for us. There will be a time for revenge, and until then, stay the course. All right, stay the course. It's kind of like St. Paul saying, run the race. Right, right. Yeah. So two of the militia return to the base camp and explain that 18 of them were actually captured and will be hung one at a time until they give up the rest of the, them and their location. So Benjamin rides to Cornwallis's fort with the general's dogs and a white flag, He says that he has 18 British officers, which are actually just dummies in uniforms, that he wants to exchange for his captured militia. Cornwallis agrees, and as they prepare the exchange, Tavington returns and recognizes Ben and tries to provoke him to violence so that Tavington can justify killing him on the spot because he can't just kill him when the general had just given him permission. And Tavington then says, it's a real dirty business doing one's duty, but sometimes... It's a real pleasure. And he's talking about 
the time when he killed Thomas in front of his family. And this is where he almost gets Benjamin to crack. Benjamin says, before this war is over, I'm going to kill you. Right? And so we see Tavington almost as like this Satan figure. He's tempting. He's, he's brutal. He spreads lies, all this stuff. And over and over and over again, we see that anytime someone comes to Tavington, it's always something they're trying to hide. They never want anyone to know that they're involved with it because Tavington is the one who does the unthinkable. Right. And so we see this real hinting at that as well. So speaking of which, Cornwallis realizes that he was tricked and Tavington says that he will act freely out of the chain of command, attacking civilians if necessary and doing other brutal methods to reach Benjamin and finally figure out who he is. Because they at this point don't know who he is. And so Cornwallis agrees as well, as long as it's like separated from his name. And so this is like when Satan lies to us and like, this is, this won't affect you. Like this just needs to be done. Like your hands will be clean. Well, it's even, it sounds like the scene where they're trying to crucify Jesus. Cause it, and they, and Pontius Pilate doesn't really know who this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't want anything to do with it. And yeah, and they're just like this is a we'll scene where like they're, they're trying to figure out who he is. If is this true? Is this not? And yeah, it's just this like m- moment. Yeah, it would just be easier to get this off your hands and get it over right. with. Yeah. So Tavington asks a loyalist supporter where Benjamin would hide his children, and they go to Aunt Charlotte's house, burn it down. They barely manage to escape thanks to Benjamin and Gabriel, and then they go hide on this island where freed slaves. Are hiding to be safe basically throughout this movie susan the youngest daughter has not spoken a word since the death of their mother about almost six years prior to where we're at right okay. now in this scene we hear her speaking for the first time and she tells gabriel that she hates benjamin and she hopes she never sees him again she's really angry that he kind of left them tavington then gets a list of all the men in the militia and goes through burning their homes and killing their families. And this is where we just see the hope that they have really just gathered up to this point. They're just crushed. They're just fall apart. So they take a week to return to their families and make sure they're all safe. And during that time, Gabriel says to Benjamin, you once said that when I had a family of my own, that I would understand you were right. And then we see Anne, the girl that he was like courting, ride up with her family and they get married on this island. As they say their goodbyes, Susan refuses to talk to Benjamin, still at this point, until he goes to leave and then she breaks down and she just yells out, Father, Father, anything you want me to say, I'll say it, just don't go. And I feel like that's, that's a beautiful like prayer as well. And she's saying it from her, her desperation and from her hurt, uh, right. feeling that she had been abandoned even though like we know that he never truly abandoned her, but I feel like that's, that's how we react sometimes too. Okay. Yeah. So they regroup. And when Anne and her family return to the village, Tavington is there and burns down the entire village alive after getting them to give up the location of Benjamin and the rest of the militia. And so immediately after their wedding, Anne, and the rest of the village are, are killed. Wilkins, who is the loyalist, who was actually a friend of Benjamin, 
is now fighting with Tavington and says, there's no honor in doing this. And Tavington responds, the honor is found in the ends, not the means. This will all be forgotten. I think this is an obvious one, but you want to go at that real quick? I mean, obviously the ends don't just are the means. So he's saying the opposite. He's saying as long as the end is good, then doing whatever to get there is fine. Yeah. And that is just false. We said it earlier, like the only end that doesn't just, it doesn't even justify the means to, you can't justify the means to, to reaching heaven. Right. Which is, it's, it's ironic because if you try to do something out of line to justify that, then you're not even making it to the end. Exactly. So, so the militia comes and they find the burnt village and knowing that their loved ones had been killed, Gabriel and the others who were from that village specifically right after Tavington, not waiting for the rest of the army. They just like go rec- recklessly out of complete anger. This is the first time we see Gabriel lose it the way Benjamin had battle ensues and they kill actually all of Tavington's troops. And they think they killed Tavington himself, but all the men from that village and Gabriel himself are killed. Mm-hmm. And so Gabriel is actually the last one standing. He shoots Tavington. Tavington falls. It's one of those classic, like, you think you got him. Right. But rather than just, like, letting the body, he grabs a knife, drops his gun, and goes over because he has, like, this, this anger that he wants to just, like, unleash. He wants to go stab him. And as he comes up to stab him, Tavington rolls over and finishes him. And so we see that Gabriel, who to this point had been, like, the moral figure just like lost control and because of that he died right do you want to speak on that well i mean i think it's spiritual life to spiritual death like 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 he's like we said earlier he knew the proper virtues he knew the proper tools to aim small and in this moment he's almost aiming big Mm -hmm. he's he's justifying the end yeah no justifying the means with the end and misses Mm-hmm. And spiritually dies, but also literally dies. Yeah. Like, but the message is that he spiritually dies. He loses his soul in this moment. And he almost, he, he, he becomes both Benjamin and his sister in what they've been harboring over the movie. Yeah. In this one moment. Yeah. And he recognized that immediately. So as soon as Benjamin realized what had happened, that they had left, the rest of them start following. And he gets there just as Gabriel is dying Gabriel's last words, Father, I'm sorry. That's good. Yeah. And so even in this, this moment of weakness, in this moment where he falls, he still recognizes, Father, I'm sorry. Right after this, Benjamin, in, in his hurt, says, why do men feel that they can justify death? Is it arrogance? And then he says, I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me, and the cost is more than I can bear. We see that line from the very beginning finally come to fruition. He feels that Gabriel's death is a punishment for his own sins. And so we see he still hasn't let go of those things. In fact, now it's even worse. What was the line you said right before he says the big line? Why do men feel that they can justify death? Is it arrogance? Because someone's trying to like, Calm him. What did basically. you say? Is there something before that that you've written down? Father, I'm sorry. 
that. Duh. Yeah. We have a rule in our rule of life with a door that says, confess your sins and remained reconciled. Mm. And the mm. remained reconciled, it seems like a, like a trick. Like, what the heck it's does that impossible. mean? Right. But I, th- I remember the word. I looked it up, actually. Scrupulosity. Yes. Thank you. And so there's, you can't remain reconciled if you struggle with scrupulosity, which is what Benjamin is struggling with in this movie. Go listen to that Catching Foxes episode from two weeks ago. It's great. And they explain it more. But essentially, one, you have to be truly sorry for your sins. Two, you are forgiven. But three, you have to believe that. And scrupulosity is struggling with that guilt, you know, struggling with the idea that we are broken and we mess up to not accepting you are forgiven, just like Benjamin. And when you do that, it's like you're given, it's like the story of the lame person who was lowered down into the roof. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk, and you stay laying on that, that bed. Yeah. You yeah. don't get up and walk, but you're healed. Oh, that's good. And that's what's happening. So for someone to realize what he's done and immediately say, Father, Father I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. That is what that rule means to confess your sins and remain reconciled. It, it's, it's not go to confession as soon as possible. It's in that moment, recognize you messed up and own up to it. Hmm. And then allow God to show up and heal you and accept that. Yeah. That's it. And I think that, yeah, I don't know. No, that, that's, that's perfect. So immediately after this, Benjamin returns with the rest of the militia for kind of like the culminating battle, right? The big, everyone's coming together for this. This is the kind of the last stand. And Colonel Burwell, who's been kind of a, a leading commander, close friend throughout this whole thing, says, your victories and your losses mean more to us than you know. Stay the course. And he's not just talking about like these military battles, like he knows Benjamin. And he says, we're with you. We support you. Like this hurts us too. And, and we're here for you. And so we see, stay the course, stay the course. And Benjamin responds, I have run my course. And he's basically just given up and he says, I'm not going to fight. He just, he's back to that point again. And so he says, he's not going to fight anymore, but the rest of the army starts marching out, and as he's doing that, he goes over to Gabriel's bag, and he finds that flag that he had found a long time ago, and the, the guy had said, it's a lost cause. Gabriel had repaired the flag, and upon seeing that, he found it completely mended. He rides it into battle, and it gives the rest of the men hope. I think that's, that's important. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. So you want to just dive into that really quick? Well, going right off what we were just talking about, you know, with Gabriel out of action, you know, choosing sin or choosing the wrong, you, you spiritually die. Yeah. But in the same context of scrupulosity, when we don't allow ourselves to be forgiven, even when we are, we, we die spiritually mm-hmm. and that's what's happened to him. And we can't have faith without hope as much as we can't have love without hope we can't have love without faith etc those those virtues are like thread tied together and 
he's lacking in one because he's lost hope. And when we get this image of like, okay, I have hope. Okay, I can be redeemed. Okay, I'm, I, I can do something good. I am a good person. And then not only did he ride in to do something good, but just like a beacon of light, he was able to give that to others. Mm-hmm. When we finally like allow ourselves to do like God to work in us, then we can actually share that with other people. And that's what's happening right here. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing this, this beacon of hope. This looks like it's going to be one of our, our longer episodes. So I'll keep plugging away here. America. America. All right. So Cornwallis is talking to Tavington right before this battle mm-hmm. takes place. And he says, I will not tolerate a premature charge born of your eagerness for glory. You will wait for my order. And we kind of see that Tavington's pride and his pursuit of glory has also been kind of his downfall as well. So we see pride coming up again on the British side. And so they're coming up with a strategy here, the Americans are, and they realize nobody believes in the militia because every single battle, the militia retreat. The lines break, and if you know anything about this kind of warfare, you know you have to maintain the line. No matter what's going on, if the lines break, you've lost. And they realize that the pride of the British actually might play into this. So they intentionally put the militia on the center of the front line. And they say, all you need to do is fire two shots. And then you can retreat. That's all we need from you, two shots. So they send them up there. And as soon as they do that, they don't even get two shots out of these guys. After the first shot, they're retreating. These guys are just terrified. Tavington sees the militia break in the center, and he charges without command. So exactly what he had just been told not to do, he charges. And Cornwallis doesn't want Tavington to have the glory, and so he orders a full, uh, full charge of his infantry. And so we see the pride of Tavington and Cornwallis sending in everything they have to try and steal the glory from each other because the militia are retreating. What they didn't realize is that the militia retreated just over a hill where the entire Continental Regulars, the actual trained army, was waiting. And so they send their soldiers just like pouring over this hill and are just annihilated, right? And so we had this completely lopsided battle, which ends up pretty even. So after some initial success, the Americans are then forced into retreat again by the British. But then Benjamin takes that flag again. And he leads them into the battle, retaking the field without a weapon. He just runs up there. And then he fights and he kills Tavington, suffering injuries himself. With what? He uses the flag to stab the horse. Okay. Because the horse is like charging at him because he's a cavalry. And knocks him down. And then he uses the last bullet. So this whole time, I didn't mention this, but this whole time he had been taking Thomas's metal soldiers and melting them into bullets. He uses the last bullet from that to shoot him in the shoulder. And then it's a knife fight from there. It's a pretty epic. Naturally. Yeah. And I wasn't going to go into this, but we're already over. So might as well. Tabington says, kill me before the war is over, will you? Because he's winning the battle. It appears you are not the better man. And so right as he comes up to finish him, just like Gabriel did with a knife, Benjamin 
turns, does the same move, basically, and says, you're right, my sons were better men than me. And we see this kind of like humility finally coming on, although not, not perfect. But So then the British retreat until they hit Yorktown, where George Washington's army surrounded them, and the French finally arrive and they lay siege. Benjamin looks over to Jean, the, the French guy, and says, vive la France. Like, this whole time, they didn't trust the French. They're like, they're never coming. We're on our own. So he says, vive la France. And Jean says, vive la liberté. Long live liberty, right? And the reason I bring this up is our homily at camp this last week for 4th of July was all about independence and liberty, right? And how for... For Americans, we get so stuck into this Americanism, this idea that like we worship America first and then God second kind of thing, um, that we think of liberty as something different than it should be, an independence, right? Because in faith, independence really isn't a great thing, no. right? We think of independence as being able to do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want. And that in itself is not necessarily a good thing. No. Right? And so because of that, we see morality as restrictive of our independence. It's, it's freedom of slavery. Right. Yeah. And it's Bishop Barron. We've talked about this before. Bishop Barron has a perfect example. If you're playing a sport, there's rules, right? And those rules free you to play the game properly, right? Are you restricted? Uh, technically, because there's rules, but you're restricted to be able to play freely. Right. It seems kind of confusing, but that's the same thing with our life. Yeah. Right? These rules of morality are restrictions in that do they limit us from doing certain things? Yes. But in doing so, they allow us to live freely. And that is something that I think we forget a lot when we talk about independence. But on the other side, we should be dependent on God. Right. Right? So we're so focused on independence that we forget that we're supposed to be childlike and what what does it mean to be childlike? To be completely dependent. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that's really important to remember as well. Right. We're free from our pride. We're free from our shame. We're free from our guilt. And we aren't what we think we are, but we are what God has made us and allowed us to be. Right. Uh, so the next big thing, Cornwallis says, how has it come to this? Everything has changed everything will change and then they surrender the British surrender but Cornwallis is too prideful to surrender himself he actually has someone else bring his sword out and do like all the rituals because he's too ashamed and too prideful to go out and do it himself and so we see even in defeat he's too prideful to, right. to go do it Benjamin then says now with our militia disbanding I take measure of what has been lost and what has been won. This is through a letter. My hope and prayer is that the sacrifices borne by so many will spawn the promise of our new nation. Please tell the children, and especially Susan, that I will keep my promise and will return to you soon. This is where I see it really tying in with the relationship between Susan and her father, Benjamin, right? And this this father who seemingly abandoned them, it, it's very much like 
the Old Testament, like, I will not abandon you. I will be with you uh, like a, a mother does not abandon her child kind of thing. So we see we have this, this carpenter who sacrificed so much in this war, who even gave his sons, right? I know it's the father gives the sons and right. but so that others, the rest of this nation might live and be free with the father promising to return to his children. And so we see like this kind of flow of, of like the, the scriptural story playing out. And I actually got that same message when you said the one line you weren't going to say, but my sons were better than me. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I think that's ideally how God would say it, but just the sense of he understands their worth. Yeah. And, and how good they are. Yeah. And versus what the enemy tries to fight for or make us think or, or what we even tell ourselves. Like that's the message we've been talking about a little bit with Ben, Benjamin, Mm -hmm. But God's like, no, you guys are, you're, you're even better than, than you think, or you're better yeah. than me. Like, you were so good. You were very good. You're worth right. it. Yeah. So the last thing I want to bring up here, Benjamin gets the kids and Charlotte and they all return home. Their house had burned, burned down, remember, but they find the entire militia working on rebuilding their home when they get back. And Occam comes up. He's now a freed man. He had earned his, his freedom from fighting. And he says, Gabriel said, if we win the war, we can build a whole new world. We just figured we could start right here with your home. And so we see this kind of playing out. And immediately when I heard this, I thought of actually Revelation. Mm-hmm. So Revelation chapter 21. And I, I just want to read a, a tiny snippet. It's a couple verses here. <laughs> so it says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I just thought that fit this story perfectly. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I, any any concluding thoughts on that? Oh, say can you see? Oh, no, not really. Super patriotic. <laughs> it's great. For those of you who are not American listeners, I hope you guys can bear with us and this USA, intense USA, Americanism. USA. But yeah, hopefully that, that's uh, helpful for all you guys. I know we are way over, but we still want to go ahead and give you guys some challenges. So I do have a couple here. So the first one is we talked earlier about the significance of the flag, right? And the hope that comes with that. So I want you guys to think about what is your 
flag. This thing that seems like is a lost cause, but when we give it the care and attention needed, it actually brings hope, not just to ourselves, but to those around us. So what is that thing in your life? Another one I want to throw out there is to actually read that entire chapter of Revelation and pray on that. So Revelation chapter 21, I think we get so stuck in Revelation being all about like the apocalypse that we forget that there's so much other beautiful stuff in there and actually the apocalypse is just a very tiny part of it. So I want you guys to just read and pray on that, Revelation chapter 21. And I actually have a third one, unless you have another one. I don't have any. Go ahead. Great. So the third one, you guys can pick and choose one or do all these. It's up to you. The third one is we talked today a lot about humility and also that that means to know who you are, know who God is, but also recognizing that you are forgiven and where you are in that. And I think a helpful way to do that is to do a daily examination of conscience, Mm -hmm. right? We've talked about this before. But if you're doing a daily examine, you're going to know yourself better than you ever have before. And you're also going to know like where you are in your, your forgiveness as well. So make sure you're doing that uh, and, and going to reconciliation when necessary, which should be often. And if you've done the examine in the past and you're like, I've, I, I, I've done it. It doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I am actually currently reading something I mentioned on the last podcast called Reimagining the Ignatian Examine. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't have the author. Mark Theodix or Theobic, Theobo? Anyways, Reimagining the Ignatian Examine. And it's basically a book where just each chapter, there's like 50 something, is a different variation of the examine. So it's the same, like so many steps, but it adds. Just like, oh, if, do you want to do it for this? Do you want to do it for this? And it, it, it makes it, it modernizes it and it makes it more helpful. So if you've tried the normal exam and you're just like, it's not for me, check that out. I got the audio version or like the ebook on my phone for like five bucks. Yeah. So, so it's, it's Mark uh, Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So check that out. That's, a, that's another great version. If that's something that's been a struggle for you in the past. Yeah. Good stuff. Any shout outs? I had them up. Uh, Diana. As yeah. I've noticed recently, she's you know old, old, old listener. Um, ben Balto is up there too. Yep. Yeah. We have a Romald recently listened once. Yep. And then Lydia a while back has listened. Another other people have listened, but you're just under users. So if you're a user number, shout out. <laughs> yeah. Also, Uncle Sam, love you. Shout out to uh, all of our, our veterans as well for uh, yes. uh, keeping us safe and also, shout out to all the, the teens and, and volunteers that we were just on, on retreat with. Yeah. So I know a lot of you guys listened, and hopefully you guys are taking what you learned and bringing it back to the real world. Anything else? All right. Guys, you know where to find us, hopefully at this point. So Twitter, at OnTheAdventure2. Facebook, it's just the Christ in Culture. You can find us on our website where we have a blog, videos. You can access all the podcasts and learn more about the three of us and also find some more resources as well. So that's the Christ in If you like what we do, please consider being a patron for as little as a couple dollars a month. You can uh, become a patron and get extra content and prizes and different gifts and stuff like that. Uh, we have sent out stickers. We do a monthly like Q and a session, stuff like that. And so you have access to 
all that kind of different stuff. We also have mugs for some of the higher levels as well. So go and check that stuff out. We always appreciate all the help that we can get from you guys because, you know, it takes money to do this kind of stuff, and we appreciate it. God bless. America. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the adventure, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye.